the resurrection. You know, the first slide up. There we go. He is risen. Hallelujah. Can I hear a hallelujah? Let's be Pentecostal. Can I hear a hallelujah? hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. To those in the hall and those on, uh, was it YouTube? Um, and anybody listening to this talk via our website um, sometime in the future, uh, welcome. You're very welcome, especially today on Easter Sunday. And if it's the first time joining us, you can find all of our talks on our YouTube channel and on our website. So this morning, we remember and celebrate the greatest act of love the world has ever seen in the life, death and resurrection as we've just been singing this morning of our Lord Jesus Christ, the real reason for Easter. So let's pray. Dear Lord, open our hearts and minds to hear from you today. We acknowledge your risen living presence with us. We ask you to increase our expectancy to see your kingdom break through into people's lives as we share your love with all that you lead us to and everyone that you lead us to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now there are many Easter, East, Easter? Yeah, Easter traditions around the world that have nothing to do with Jesus in the resurrection. So what does the word outside the church think Easter is about? Well, in many countries, people give chocolate Easter eggs and you've got little gifts and I'm sure there's little Easter eggs in there. And for Christians, the Easter egg has become synonymous with the resurrection. That's the whole point. You know, the egg gets broken, the, the breaking open of the tomb, all that. Um, but so many, they totally miss that. It's just a nice weekend to have a nice holiday, four days off, meet friends and family and, and you know, give and receive chocolate. They don't understand what the egg's all about. What about other Easter, Easter traditions? Carl can't speak this morning. For many Russians, Polish and Slovenian Catholics, their Easter tradition is to sculpt a lamb made entirely of butter. The lamb represents the sacrificial lamb of God, the red ribbon, the blood of Christ on the cross, and the flag represents peace on earth. Now I get that. That makes sense to me. And what about the next one? In the Czech Republic and Slovakia, uh, women are drenched in ice cold water and then they're whipped with willow branches. <laughs> this is some sort of fertility rite, but they do it at Easter. Why? Um, and in America, parents take their children to see the Easter bunny. Now, the one on the left is not so bad. The one in the middle is very, very sort of sinister. And this one, I mean, that's a werewolf, isn't it? I mean, no wonder the kids are scared. I mean, kids get scared at Christmas when parents take them to see Father Christmas. What, what's this all about? And when I looked on the internet, there are many other weird traditions that people do at Easter that have nothing to do with the most important message of Easter. And that is that Jesus is alive. He is risen. Hallelujah. So this morning, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want us to think about what it means for us and what it should mean for humanity and the world. Last week, Jill set up a number of prayer stations and meditation stations around this hall. From Palm Sunday through the Passover, right up to Jesus' resurrection. 
And there was a lovely little um, what priest wears saying, he is risen, hallelujah, on one of the tables. And I found it really moving. I don't know about you, but I found it really moving. And I've still got my plastic coin that I took. That was one of the ones that really struck me, was Judas you know, giving Jesus up and betraying him. But afterwards, he realized what he'd done. And he tried to make amends. That really struck me. But now, before we read our, go to our reading, just let's remember the background to the resurrection. Because it's so easy to miss the power and the emotion of the day. Because we know the story, don't we? We know how it ends. We've been told it for over 2,000 years. And we've you know, become numbed to its significance, don't we? So let's try and imagine how the disciples who followed Jesus were feeling that first Easter morning. Remember, just a week before, they'd entered Jerusalem with Jesus riding on a donkey and shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And things didn't seem as though they could get any better. But just as things seemed like they were as high as they could be, things turned very nasty as the plot to kill Jesus grew. They found themselves in the upper room celebrating the Passover with Jesus talking about someone betraying him and then giving him bread and saying, this is my body and giving him wine saying, this is my blood. I mean, they're good Jews. They don't drink blood. It's against the law. And what is going on? And in this picture um, by Siga uh, Coda, we can see, I don't know if you can see it, but you can see the concerned and confused faces on the disciples' faces as Jesus explains to them what's going on. They, they don't get it. You see the broken bread on the table in the shadow of the cross. There's a dark shadow up in the corner of Judas slinking out. And then if you look closely, as Jesus holding the cup, you can see the reflection of his face in the wine. Then to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is arrested and the disciples run scared. And then Peter's bitter tears as he denies Jesus. And finally, John and Mary, Jesus' mother, seeing Jesus crucified and dead on a cross. And that's a picture from the Passion of the Christ, which I think is the most graphic uh, and, and disturbing and, you know, just... I mean, Chris and I went and saw it at the pictures and we just sobbed when we came out to realise how much Jesus went through for us. And when Jesus had died, Joseph of Arimathea asked for Jesus' dead body and puts it in his own tomb. But it was rushed. It had to be done before the Sabbath so the body couldn't be properly prepared as a Jewish custom. And Jesus' followers didn't know what to do. And then the tomb was sealed with Pilate's official seal and guarded by Roman soldiers. So what do they do now? And so as those of Jesus' disciples and followers who had the courage to get back together, probably in the upper room, with all their hopes and, and everything, dreams crushed over what had happened in the last 24 hours, they sit scared to death about what would happen to them now that Jesus was gone. So close your eyes for a few moments. Put yourself in their place. Would you be scared, confused, all your hopes dashed? What would you be thinking right at that moment? Jesus dead in a tomb. 
Well, how did that make you feel? Not in the stomach? Cold sweats? Fear? What's going to happen next? Well, into that, we come to our reading. Matthew 28, 1 to 10. Jesus has risen. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards who were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them, greeting them, he said, and they came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Can you imagine how they felt seeing Jesus? Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there you will see me. So there we have Matthew's account of the empty tomb and the first glimpse that all might not be lost after all. Dare they believe it? Well, the disciples certainly didn't at first. Let's read Luke 24, 9 to 11. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and, and the others there. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, why did they react like that? Well, in first century Israel, women had no status. They weren't rational thinkers. They weren't believed to be rational thinkers anyway. And they weren't trustworthy witnesses. All they did, according to the men, was gossip, talk nonsense, <laughs> and most of the time it was probably more of the same. Now, this has nothing to do with what I feel now, um, but that's what they said then. But then we've got the story of Peter and John. Sorry, I keep saying story. It's not a story, it's an account. It's true. Peter and John running to the tomb. And when they get there, they see what the women had said was true. Well, at least the part about the tomb being empty. So where was Jesus' body? Had the authorities taken it to stop Jesus' followers creating a shrine, a shrine to their dead leader? They didn't know. So despair to joy. So here we have the remaining followers of Jesus confused about what is happening but only a few days later, they're running around Jerusalem telling everybody that Jesus has risen and that he was alive. And their joy, their despair had changed to joy. Why? Well, if you read through the rest of the account, and I encourage you to do that in all the Gospels, because they're slightly different, you get different bits from different Gospels. But read the rest of the account of the Gospels. And what the women had said on that first morning was proved to be totally true. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, then to the two on the road to Emmaus. Then he disappears before their very eyes. Then to the disciples, 
in, in a locked room, and Jesus is there, standing right in the middle of them. Then he appears again, because Thomas didn't believe it, did he? Then he appears to Paul on the Damascus Road. And then later it says he appeared to over 500 followers at the same time. So for Jesus' followers, the resurrection was real. They had to tell people about it. But would they listen and believe? Just a little ancient history lesson for you here. At that time in the ancient world, there were two dominant worldviews, Greco-Roman and Jewish. In the Greco-Roman culture, they believed the body was horrible and evil and their ultimate goal was for their souls to be free from a physical body. Not to live in one for eternity. Therefore, for the Greeks and the Romans, resurrection would have been very undesirable. And for the Jews, they believed there was no resurrection till the end of time. So, for the Jews, there was no possibility for anybody coming back from the dead until the end of history. So, for the disciples to come around saying that Jesus was alive would be total stupidity to most people listening. The next point to note that in the ancient world, as I said, women had no legal standing, as we saw from the disciples' reaction. Women weren't to be believed in this culture, so they were not allowed to give evidence in court. So who in a culture of the day would believe that Jesus had been resurrected when the chief witnesses were women? But you see, this, has to, this is the very reason why you can believe it and why the Bible accounts are true. You know, nobody would make up a story like that with women being the, the main witnesses. But the reason the Gospel accounts start with women seeing that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was alive is because they were the ones that saw it. If you go on to read the rest of the Gospel account of the soldiers who were guarding the tomb being bribed by the religious leaders to say that the disciples stole the body, but had Jesus not risen from the tomb, his story would have faded, like all the other would-be messiahs before and after. Jesus' followers would have gone on searching for the true Messiah. A New Testament probably wouldn't have been written until the true Messiah came. Also, there's no benefit in the disciples making up the resurrection. They wouldn't get rich or powerful. They certainly wouldn't make friends in high places. Totally the opposite, actually. In fact, they put themselves in ever-increasing danger the more they spoke out, and eventually they were killed for it. Stephen was stoned to death, Peter was crucified upside down, and the Apostle Paul got his head cut off. No one ever willingly goes to their death for a lie. But no, not, none, of, no, I can't say it, none of the martyrs, none of the people that believed in Jesus who were killed recanted and said, Okay, it's true, we stole the body, it's all made up. None of them said that. Why? Because they'd seen Jesus alive with their own eyes and were prepared to die for the truth. Having said that, in the early Christian church, the Jewish beliefs I noted earlier, and the Greco-Romans ones, started to creep into the church. It's called Gnosticism, if you want a technical word for it. Paul addresses this emphatically in 1 Corinthians 15. But if I preach that Christ had been risen from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and your faith, and so is your faith. 
More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him from if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still sinners. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost as well. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Have you seen the videos of thousands of dominoes that people spend weeks setting up, going upstairs and through columns and all sorts of things and then they make pictures and all sorts of things and then they tip the first one over and they all start falling over and these lovely pictures appear and they go upstairs and across corridors and drop down, all that sort of stuff. Amazing. Well, if you deny the resurrection, like so many have done through history, all the other Christian theology that we believe in falls like a set of dominoes. If there's no resurrection, well, there can't be any forgiveness of sin. If there's no forgiveness of sin, well, there's no salvation. If there's no salvation, well, well, where's God's grace? And if there's no resurrection, well, Jesus is just a person. So what's the point in having faith in him? So why be baptised in the first place? And the Trinity? Well, if Jesus is just a man, there is no Trinity. Well, so you might as well chuck the Bible in the bin. If you deny the resurrection... Everything else falls with it. And as Paul said in that passage, we're of all people most to be pitied. But the resurrection is not a myth like other world religions, or a legend like the Vikings told, or a work of fiction like the Chronicles of Narnia, or Lord of the Rings. It really happened. Now Dan Brown, the writer of the Da Vinci Code, and I'm not quoting him because he's a good man, because he's a Gnostic, he believes in all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff and he suggested that Jesus got married and had kids um, but he said this about the resurrection suggesting Jesus uh, a married Jesus is one thing but questioning the resurrection undermines the very heart of Christian belief and N.T. Wright, obviously one of the, the biggest theologians of our time really, said this we could cope, well the world could cope with a Jesus who ultimately remains a wonderful idea inside his disciples' minds and hearts. The world cannot cope with a Jesus who comes out of the tomb, who inaugurates God's new creation right in the middle of the old one. The resurrection is real, it's established, it's an event in history. In fact, it's the one single event in history the time and date is set to re- set reference to. You know, time is split between A.D., of BC and AD, before and after the resurrection. That's my calendar. And today's the 17th of April, 2022, because of the resurrection. Ancient Wright also said this of the resurrection. The resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It's the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong to it. Amen. Amen. So the resurrection is the most important event in the whole of human history and the pivot of kingdom theology. I haven't got time to go into that today. 
Um, that's a whole other talk about kingdom theology. But the resurrection of Jesus is proof that his sacrifice on the cross for our sin was accepted by God once and for all time. And again, we sang about that so wonderfully this morning. So having said of all of that, what difference does the resurrection mean to us today? The resurrection of Jesus enables us to receive God's grace. We don't need to keep hold of our guilt or our failures anymore. Jesus took it all for us on the cross. And the resurrection proves that Jesus' death accomplished all that God intended. The resurrection enables us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and to release the power of the already and the not yet of the kingdom into people's lives, in feeding them, in praying for them, in comforting them, in healing them. Jesus' resurrection shows that we won't just be souls or spirits floating around in some disconnected spiritual realm. We will have real bodies, or not only that, they'll be superhuman like his was. Do you remember he appeared and disappeared? He went up in the clouds. Don't you wonder why there's so much interest in films like and programmes like X-Men, Heroes, Alphas, The Fantastic Four, Hancock, The 4400. Humanity knows there's something more that we were meant to be, more than, than we are. And putting our trust in Jesus through the resurrection, we will be. You know, I can't wait to fly and go through walls and be with Jesus. And finally, the resurrection gives us a hope that there is life beyond death. Now, people's biggest fear today is death. Millions is spent every year on gym memberships, diet programs, health supplements, miracle creams. There's an advert on the, mo- on the telly at the moment about creams. Oh, your skin's so lovely, what are you wearing? Oh, it's this. Takes loads of it into a basket. So try and make life last a little bit longer. But later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortal, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. The victory that Paul is talking about is the resurrection. Death isn't the end. It's the doorway to eternity. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, so shall all who put their trust in him. So to conclude, Easter isn't about chocolate eggs and bunnies, it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All other leaders of religions are dead and still in their tombs. Jesus' tomb is empty, he's risen, he's alive today. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything else in Christianity is a lie. And there's no resurrection, there's no forgiveness, no salvation, no grace, and so on. All the dominoes fall. But as we read in Corinthians, you know, we would be people to be most pitied. But the resurrection isn't a myth. It's historical fact verified by eyewitnesses. First by women, then the two on the road to Emmaus, then the disciples in the upper room, Thomas, Paul on the road, and over 500 together at one time. And the resurrection enables us to get rid of all our guilt and receive God's grace Jesus gave his life and took all our sin so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life with him in heaven. Death isn't the end. It's just a doorway to eternal life. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, so shall all who put their trust in him. And I'll just read what N.T. Wright said again. The resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. 
It's the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong to it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, that even in your darkest moments, you stayed obedient to your father's plan and gave your life so that we could live. And thank you, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead to life so that we can live with you in eternity. Praise you, Lord. He is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. So thank you for listening. You can find out more about us at Grace Vineyard on our website at gracevineyard.co.uk and we're going to stop the live stream in a moment and go on to Zoom. But for everybody, these are the breakout questions for this morning. So how has this talk this morning challenged or changed your understanding of Jesus' resurrection and, it should be, its significance? Yeah, it shouldn't be and, it should be and, I've just spotted that. <laughs> and its significance to the world today. Now this Easter, are there things in our lives that are stopping us from embracing the full extent of Jesus' resurrection and its reality for ourselves? And how can we share God's love and the true power of Jesus' resurrection this Easter more effectively with those around us and pray for each other? Amen.